Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. Thus is the reading of God's Word. Well, this morning we heard how the death of Christ for sinners is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. And we are the recipients of God's love and that marvelous demonstration of it in the death of Christ. The question remains then, how are we to respond? And our text gives us the answer. Paul has just spent 11 chapters in the epistle to the Romans uh, giving us a systematic exposition of the gospel, showing, first of all, how the Gentiles and all the world is under sin and how the Jews themselves are not excluded. All the world is condemned in sin before God. But there is salvation, and salvation is offered by faith alone, just as Abraham himself believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. And we, being baptized into Christ, are baptized into his death and also will partake in his resurrection. And that resurrection power that raised Christ up from the dead works in our hearts, regenerating us and giving us new life. And yet, although we struggle in sin as Christians, indwelling sin, that we say with Paul, O wretched man that I am, we can say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have peace with God. And there is no condemnation for us that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has shown how this salvation is all of grace, all by the sovereign work of God. And, and now, having set forth the gospel to us, he appeals unto us. He beseeches us. It's the, I want you to understand the force of what's being said here. It's as though he's grabbing you by the shoulders and shaking you, looking you dead in the eyes and saying, listen to me. In response to the gospel that I've preached unto you, that I've exposited unto you up, up until now in this epistle, do what I'm telling you. Re present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so as we take up this text, we'll consider, we will consider the following doctrine, how that the Christian's body and soul is to be offered in thankfulness to the Lord as a living sacrifice. The Christian's body and soul is to be offered to the Lord, in, uh, offered in thankfulness to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And we will consider three aspects of this sacrifice of the Christian. First of all, the cause of the Christian's sacrifice, or its motivation, the motivation of the Christian's sacrifice. Second, the nature of the Christian's sacrifice, what it is, what it, does it mean. And, and thirdly, the effect of the Christian's sacrifice, the effect of the Christian's sacrifice. But uh, first of all, the cause or the motivation for the Christian sacrifice. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And there we see what it is. The mercies of God is what impels us to offer ourselves as a li living sacrifice unto the Lord. What are these mercies? It's what I've just summarized for, for you from the book of, of Romans. That although all men were under sin, Doing those things uh, which were disgusting in the sight of the Lord. The wrath of God is revealed again from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
speaking of the Gentiles and their darkness, but also coming in to convict uh, those in the visible church, hypocrites that do the same things, who teach against adultery and yet lust in their hearts, who teach against uh, sacrilege and yet they, they uh, defile the, the temple of the Lord, who may have been baptized or circumcised in those days, and yet had sins of their own that condemned them before the bar of divine justice. And yet, God in his kindness and in his goodness made a way, as we heard this morning, and this way, not merely from coming from a bare toleration, but from an abundant and abounding love, a demonstration of divine love. This is supposed to evoke a response in us. When we hear these things, we're not to be like Paul's hypothetical objector that says, well, uh, why, not? why don't we just sin that grace may abound? No. When you hear these things, when you hear the love of God shed forth in Jesus Christ, you are to, if you genuinely receive Jesus Christ by faith, you're going to have a desire to offer yourself, to do those things which are pleasing unto the Lord, not for works righteousness. You know that you can't justify yourself by the works of the law, but in thankfulness unto the Lord and a desire to be conformed unto his image, to be holy as he is holy. What child is there that doesn't want to be like their father? And so if you've been made a child of God, you are going to want to be like God, to, to imitate your father, to be holy as he is holy. The gospel of Jesus Christ has this effect on the believing soul, the gracious soul, the soul that has had the grace of God awaken him from deadness unto life. This compels us to go uh, unto holiness, to put aside the things that have no profit, the things of the world, the lusts of the flesh, and to desire him, to desire the one whom our soul loves. Really, that is the effect of the gospel upon our souls. We see Jesus Christ, yes, as Lord, yes, as Savior, but also as the lover of our souls. And we desire to do those things which are pleasing in his sight so that we can enjoy a, a sweeter and a deeper fellowship with him. We see that we've been reconciled unto God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we desire to enjoy that fellowship that we have through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel motivates us to holy living, to giving ourselves as an offering of love unto the Lord in response to his sacrifice for us. We are impelled. We are, as Paul says, we are constrained by the love of God. Constrained by the love of Christ. The love that he has set upon us, that unquenchable, fervent love, compels us to live for him in response to what he's done. We have been pursued. We've been wooed. Christ has taken us aside and, as it were, spoken sweet nothings into our ears that he might draw us unto himself. And we, being... Uh, Allured, he says, I will allure them unto myself in Hosea, speaking of his, Christ, of his church as his bride. We, being allured by the gospel of Christ, are now uh, desiring to live in sweet intimacy with him all the days of our life. This really should be uh, the rule of our Christian ethics. Too often we fall into the trap of thinking, well, how far is the line that I can, go, I can throw uh, until I break God's law? Can I watch this kind of movie? Can I wear this kind of clothing? But really, we have to be thinking, what can I do to walk more and more in fellowship with Jesus Christ and in his love? That's Christian living. That's the response that we need to have to the gospel. 
for as we see the love of Christ shed abroad with his open arms upon that cross. That really has a power that the moral law doesn't have. Yes, the moral law convicts us of sin. It cuts us to the heart, shows us that we are condemned, might even bring us low, might even cause a real and genuine terror in our hearts. But remember, even Ahab and Judas, two reprobates, were able to feel a terror of the law. You see, there is a worldly sorrow unto death. But you see, what the gospel can produce, it produces a godly sorrow that leads unto repentance. That we, the, the essence of repentance, is not just a fear of the law, but an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. And seeing the, uh, the, the heinousness of our sin, we turn from them unto Christ. And so as we apprehend the mercy of God, we apprehend the, the, the love of Jesus Christ, it causes us to turn to desire to put away our sin, not only in a general repentance uh, for, from our sins, but a particular repentance, repenting of our particular sins, particularly as our confession puts it. This is the appropriate response to the gospel that is set forth to us in the scriptures. But now we come to the question, well, what is, what does it mean for a Christian to offer themselves as a living sacrifice? And we and so we consider the nature of the Christian's sacrifice. Well, you know, I'm sure, that the Old Testament is full uh, of ceremonial laws that require sacrifices. And most of these typify the coming Savior, Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain, uh, the lamb, the, uh, all these sacrifices that were burned, and all of these things uh, typify different aspects of Christ's atoning work. But aside from these uh, burnt offerings for atonement, there were other sacrifices as well, free will and, and, and thanks offerings. And, and these actually speak and typify what we do as Christians. They, they typify our, our praise. As we read in Hebrews, we're to offer the praise of our lips unto the Lord. And as we see here in our text, we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, not as though doing so is going to atone for our sins, but it's that thanks offering that we uh, respond unto the Lord with, in our thankfulness for the things that he has done for us. And, and so, see what the apostle says. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we see immediately that we are to present our bodies. Our bodies belong to the Lord. The world says, my body, my choice. Wrong. Christ's body Christ's choice. Your body belongs unto the Lord. And so you're to devote your whole body unto the Lord and to his service. As we read in, in uh, Romans 6, we're not to uh, use the members of our body, our physical body parts, as instruments of unrighteousness, but use them for righteousness' sake. Your hands ought to be running to do good. Your, uh, your, your feet, I mean, your hands ought to be working righteousness. Your body belongs unto the Lord. He that uh, is joined unto a prostitute is one flesh with her. And so he sins against his flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. And so we body and soul belong unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to devote our whole lives unto him. We're to be a living sacrifice. We're to live as Christians. Really, this is what the Gospels put in another way. They say that we are to live in self-denial, picking up our cross and following Jesus, denying ourselves. Not living in a way that's selfish, self-oriented, but a way that is Christ-oriented. 
a way that thinks of how to glorify Christ. When you take up your dinner, uh, when you pick up a glass of water to drink, what's on your mind ought to be glorifying Christ. Yes, you see, this duty, this uh, duty of offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is all-encompassing. It affects not only coming, how we come to worship, but even how we eat and how we drink. Everything that we do ought to be for Christ's sake, for his glory, do all to the glory of God. And so this, the nature of the Christian sacrifice is to devote all aspects of one's life unto Christ. You're not to compartmentalize your life and say, well, I'm a Christian on Sunday in the pew, but when I'm with my friends or my coworkers, I, I put that aside. I don't want to offend anybody after all. No, offend them if you must. Be a Christian at all times. So whether, whether you're a software engineer, whether you work at the grocery store, do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. Do it in thanksgiving unto God for the work of the cross that has saved your soul. We are to have, as the scriptures say, a faith that works by love. A faith that works by love. A, a faith that believes the gospel and with a love to God desires to do good works. Again, yes, our, our good works aren't meritorious. They don't save us. But Ephesians chapter 2, we are created, we are purposed for good works in him. And really, they are good works in Christ. They're not perfect works according to the standard of the moral law, absolutely not. But according to the gospel, wrought in sincere, the sincerity of faith and cleansed, although they're imperfect, cleansed by the blood of Christ, they are pleasing and acceptable for Christ's sake in the sight of God. And we are to desire to have our lives devoted unto God in good works. Towards the end of, the gospel, uh, of, the, of this book in Romans, Paul speaks of a couple that had addicted themselves, one translation renders it, addicted themselves unto hospitality. They were addicted to the good work of hospitality. We ought to be addicted unto good works. We ought to be addicted to, the, to showing hospitality to the saints. Addicted to the scriptures, addicted to prayer, addicted to public worship, addicted to the fellowship of the saints. These things ought to consume our hearts and our minds. We ought to be like that lovesick schoolgirl that can't stop thinking about her crush. Well, we ought to be the lovesick bride of Christ that can't stop thinking about her beloved. And as we do so, this gives us a motivation in all that we do. Just like the man that uh, might hate his job, and just goes to work just to feed his family. And when he's slugging through the, the long days, he's thinking, I've got to feed my wife, I've got to feed my kids, got to put a roof over our heads. And it gives him a motivation. Well, each and every moment of the day, whatever we're going through, even if we're suffering, we can think, I'm doing this for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm doing this in response to the one that loved me and gave himself for me. It's an all-encompassing sacrifice. Our whole life is to be devoted unto the Lord as a living sacrifice. Sometimes we can fantasize about laying down our lives as martyrs. Oh, the uh, LGBT movement is going to come for us and the government and all these things. And yeah, sure, I'm going to lay down my life, blah, blah, blah. What about living your life as a living sacrifice each and every day? If you can do that, if you can be faithful in that, then surely you'll be upheld on the day of greater things as well. We are to be a living sacrifice, devoting our bodies unto the Lord. But note, verse 2 also uh, requires of us a renewal of our mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
the things that you do with your body are to be controlled by the word of the Lord. But also, even the way that you think is to be renewed according to God's word. And, and so, you've got, you've got to submit yourself in your mind to God's word. This is, this is encompassed in the nature of the Christian sacrifice. The way that you think, you're to think God's thoughts after you take every thought captive that is contrary to the Lord. And whatever the Lord requires of you, you ought to be willing to obey. Not as though you can do it perfectly or it merits anything before God, but this ought to be your disposition in thankfulness unto the Lord. As those that have, are living in 2023 in America, we think wrongly in so many ways, oftentimes in ways we're absolutely oblivious to. Maybe because our culture has desensitized certain things that God word, God's word actually considers sins. And so we've got to be diligent in going to the word with a humble mind, desiring to be quickened in our conscience to have our minds conform to God's word. And so whatever the word says, if the word reveals unto you that it, it seems you're a prideful man, or perhaps you're gluttonous, or perhaps you're lazy, or perhaps whatever the sin might be, you ought to be willing to accept that rebuke and to turn at the Lord's commandments. And we've got to learn to think in the way that the Scriptures teach us. We can't think in a carnal way. Oh, there's so many seemingly pious, seemingly Christian arguments that we make to ourselves that really are quite ungodly, quite carnal. Carnal at best, satanic at worst. Renew your mind. Let me give you an example. As Christians, we fall into seasons of coldness of heart where we see that we're being formal, only formal, and our affections are cold. We might begin to think, okay, there's no point in reading the scriptures right now. There's no point in prayer, praying. I, I have to just wait for the Lord to come and refresh me and to liven my heart again, and then I'll start praying again. So I'm sincere. Well, that's a carnal kind of thinking. What the Scriptures requires of us is, regardless of what we feel at the moment, to continue in those spiritual duties and wait on the Lord to revive us. As the psalmist says, quicken me according to your word. We're to go, if, you, if you feel that you can't pray because your heart is so cold and dead, pray that you can pray. That's the only way to, to, to escape that state. Pray that you can pray. And so uh, carnal logic says I ought to avoid spiritual duties while I don't feel sincere. The scripture says do the duties in faith that God is going to quicken you through them. And there's so many other aspects of our lives. How we work. How we conduct ourselves in our homes and, and uh, even in the public worship of God, all these things, we've got to go to the Word with an open and a humble mind, desiring to be instructed, desiring that every aspect of ourselves is devote, to, to be devoted unto the Lord in response to the Gospel. And so in this way, our body and our minds are devoted unto the Lord as a living sacrifice. We are not our own. We are bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we don't have the liberty to put ourselves into bondage, as Galatians says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath set you free. Being liberated by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have a duty to stand in that liberty, that liberty from sin. That means we don't have a liberty to, in, 
to entangle ourselves again in the yoke of bondage of sin. But we must stand in the liberty of the sons of God, offering ourselves body and soul in thankfulness unto the Lord. But note, thirdly, the effect of this sacrifice, the effect of, li- of offering ourselves unto the Lord. It says, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so what happens after we've devoted ourselves to, to live ho- in a holy manner, to, to offer ourselves body and soul unto the Lord? Well, we begin... According to the Apostle, we are able now to test, to discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We mature in the Christian faith. We will no longer be babes tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we'll have discernment. You see, when your mindset is, I'm offering my whole life unto the Lord, when it comes to... Great, seemingly gray areas of Christian ethics, you'll be able to discern what the will of God is. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not only going to be, well, the Bible doesn't have a specific verse about this, so maybe it's okay. You're going to be able to discern what the will of the Lord is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so this mindset, this disposition of offering yourself unto the Lord produces Christian discernment. The ability to discern right from wrong. To discern what the will of God is. And, and this really is desirable, isn't it? Don't you want to be able to discern what you ought to do in a given situation? How to apply the word of God. Not merely to have the word of God memorized, perhaps. Or a catechism memorized. But know how to apply and to conduct yourself in specific situations using a God-given wisdom and discernment. The effect of Offering yourself as a sacrifice unto the Lord is that it produces discernment in you. Discernment to know what the will of God is. To know how to apply the word of God in specific situations that may arise. And you'll always find yourself desiring to do those things to, to, that are con- congruent with you living as uh, a sacrifice unto the Lord as having the stamp of Christ's ownership upon your forehead. And so, it will produce in you holiness. Devote yourself unto the Lord as a holy living sacrifice, and it will produce a discerning mind so that you can live even more in holiness. All of this in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as we consider, as we ruminate upon the work of Jesus Christ that has saved our souls, this beautiful demonstration of the love of God, we ought to have this disposition in us that we desire to serve the Lord, that we desire that our body and soul be a living sacrifice unto him, and that knowing through this it will produce in us the ability to discern right from wrong, to discern the will of God so that we might do things that are pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Uh, of course, you know how those that are new to the faith oftentimes stumble and fall due to their ignorance, not knowing the word of God, not knowing the word of truth, not being skillful yet in the word of righteousness. So if you desire to grow, to grow in, in the knowledge of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and conformity to, conformity to his image, have this disposition in yourself of, offer, of offering yourself as a thanks offering unto the Lord. 
And this really is the only appropriate response to the gospel. We've seen and we've heard that we've been redeemed, though we were wretched, wicked sinners, born in the same corrupt, guilty state and inheriting the same corrupt nature as Adam, and even from our mother's womb, going forth and committing our own actual sins. And yet God, in his abundant love, saved us, shedding abroad his mercy and calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in this, not only, we didn't just get a ticket, uh, a get-out-of-hell-free card. No, rather, we've gotten access into the unsearchable riches of Christ, so that everything that Christ has is ours. We are joint heirs with Christ, adopted sons of the living God. And so we ought to desire to live like it, to live, to walk in Christ, to walk in the spirit that we should not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And really, as the Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us. It's one thing to try and do what's right out of the sight of the terror of, God, of God's law and fear of his wrath. It's another thing entirely to do so in response to the love of Jesus Christ. That really is the ultimate motivation. That really is what's able to work in us what the law cannot do. For Christ not only gives the command, but also gives the ability and the grace to do those things which he commands. And so in love and thankfulness unto him, let us offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we have seen what glorious things you have wrought in Zion in sending forth Jesus Christ to die for sinners such as we. And we see that you hold forth this duty unto us to offer ourselves, to deny ourselves, and to devote ourselves unto you wholly in body and mind as a thank offering for the things that you have done. We pray, O oh God, that you would quicken us unto this duty, that you would cause us to walk in your ways, and fill us with your spirit that we might indeed discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We confess that we oftentimes have failed and, and, and kept back that which belongs unto you, not devoted ourselves entirely unto you. We ask for your forgiveness, but we ask that you would quicken us in your grace to really do those things which are pleasing in your sight out of thankfulness for the wonderful work that you have done, always looking unto Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen.